I'm Yasi Salek, and I'm the host of Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult bands and iconic artists by going deep into their histories and discographies. We're back with a brand new season at our brand new home, the Ringer Podcast Network, tackling a whole new batch of artists, from grunge gods to power pop pioneers to new metal legends, and many, many more. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, his final podcast before joining the Aldani Tourism Board, it's Andy Greenwald. Do you understand how hip Aldani would be oh in 2022 God, Are you during the me? pandemic? It would have been like 2012 Reykjavik. It would have been like 2021 Portugal. Like, yeah. I'm sorry to all of my friends just soaking up the sun and green wine in Lisbon, but like, it is all about that Aldani mutton just grilled That's, over an open flame. There's no green wine in Lisbon, is there? Yeah. Vino Verde? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. But is it green? No. I mean, just for, look, we're not doing no, the wine was, podcast. They don't even know what we're talking about here. We're talking about Andor. Everybody knows what we're talking about. This is where okay. you come for okay. Andor takes. Us and Midnight Boys. Can I just say that I've really been enjoying Midnight Boys and their instant reactions to Andor. So if you if you need more Andor content, Charles and Van and Steve and Jomi are doing a great job with it. I love talking about this show with my guy, Andy Greenwald. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little Midnight Club and a little bit about a, a show that's coming out tomorrow called High School on mm-hmm. uh, Freebie, which is the Amazon free tier. Hey, I think Andy Greenwald. All- all listeners know that as the streaming home of uh, the USA series Briar Patch, right? Like, I did. Is that you... where Briar Patch wound up on Freebie? <laughs> it wound up on Freebie, baby. Do you have a botnet that just like fires up Briar Patch views like over and over again? That's what I do for the watch. No, no. The thing about Freebie is people mistakenly think that it's you don't have to pay a subscription fee, but it's actually what the creators get in terms of royalties <laughs> when their shows end up there. So please feel free to V. That's um, free. Hey, I was going to ask you. So we're going to be talking about a Netflix show for the first time in quite a while, I think. I don't think we've talked about a Netflix show in a minute. I've, 
I stay watching Netflix shows. You know what I, I've also fired up recently is the reboot of The Mole starring our buddy Alex Wagner as the host. Wait, Alex is hosting a show called The Mole? Yeah, well, Anderson Cooper used to host it. It's a game show where you have to figure out who the mole is. I thought Alex took over from Rachel Maddow. She's got time. She's also on the circus. No, she's not on the circus anymore, I think. Oh, she's not? Alex Wagner, come on the watch. Let's, okay. let's, let's chop Alex it up. Alex Wagner, come on the watch and feel free to share your G-Cal just so we can like figure this all out for and you. And we can so, talk about uh, freshman year acting class. But I really enjoy the mole. Uh, but I was going to ask, as a yeah. guy who finds himself probably less frequently uh-huh. enjoying Netflix content, Right. Do you think that you would sign up for the cheaper ad-supported tier of Netflix, which is debuting in November? Great question. I think that as someone who has gotten very used to what television is now, and Mm -hmm. other than sports, and that's ad-free, and also as an avowed enemy of capitalism, I can't imagine... I can't imagine doing it. No, I, I, I can't imagine signing up for the ad-supported version. I, I don't, I, I'd be very curious, and this is the one company for sure where you know they will have these metrics almost instantly. I'm very curious what sort of Netflix user won't mind the changed experience in exchange for the the few, you know, paying a little bit less. Yes. And, I, and I wonder, you know, our conversations about Netflix when we had them over the last year were really about Netflix becoming kind of default TV in a way that just sort of scrolling used to be, right? Like maybe, I think a lot of people still, and this is to their advantage, uh, to the company's advantage, just throw it on, see what's new, maybe watch some old stuff, maybe watch some competition reality stuff. And that vibe makes a little bit more sense with the ad-supported tier than, say, um, you know, Squid Game. Yeah, uh, when that comes back. I think that makes sense. I will say, Chris, you're right that I don't watch a lot of Netflix, but Netflix does get a lot of burn on Daddington Island. Um, I imagine. I imagine. I, I would say that my children's favorite show on Netflix right now is something related to the Guillermo del Toro trolls slash like space people cartoon universe. I'm either <laughs> watching the show. I don't know what it is. And then I'm, I, I check in on what it is by like seeing what last watch and it's like Guillermo del Toro presents. So good looking out for big William the Bull, like he's getting money from that. Their second favorite show on Netflix is just watch trailers on Netflix, autoplay trailers until I catch them and say, you're done watching TV. Because they're just watching the Mindhunter trailer over and over again? Over and over. (laughs) Just they love it when Jonathan Groff uh, presses record. Yes. Do you know who's not ad-free right now? Tell me. Me. Because I'm in Philadelphia at my mom's house and uh, the TV's on a lot Uh here. Yeah. Um, did you know that they're like, we don't even have to like delve into like the merits of this, this senatorial race, the Senate race okay. in Pennsylvania. Did you know now that they just run the Fetterman and then the Oz ad back to back? Like, I don't know if this is like a new rule that right. you have to have like, basically like as soon as one ad runs, the next ad runs right after it. So it'll be like John Fetterman wants to give heroin to children. And then the mm-hmm. next ad is like Mehmet Oz kills dogs and it runs, I swear to God, dude, every five minutes. I mean, only like, one this, of those claims is true, but go on. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's like, it is honestly like a wonder that we are still like upright, like sentient human beings. Like it is burrowing into my brain in a way that is really uncomfortable where I'm has just like, it, I hate this. Has it moved your internal needle at all? Like, are you considering... Well, I'm an Oz guy going back because I love supplements. So, you know, I mean, I've always really (laughs) believed that any problem I have can be fixed with like elderberry. 
And yeah. he he's he's the one who taught me that. That's why I'm in oh. such good shape. Also, I think that your love of House of the Dragon has made you really, really keen on like <laughs> external takeovers of yeah. sovereign places. You know sure. what I mean? Sure. So considering Oz has a beautiful beachfront home in Driftmark, I think his attempts to say that he can also be senator of King's Landing tracks. Yeah. King's right? Landing is in Northeast Philly, right? King's Landing <laughs> is the best strip club in Northeast Philly. Um they have a lovely breakfast buffet. Should we endorse a candidate in the Pennsylvania Senate race? Yeah, but do you, uh, you want to hold? Yeah. Should we wait? Should we wait to announce right closer to election day? I think we should. We want to. We want to make this impactful. Speaking of political races, <laughs> I am. You know, I I'm trying to keep it. Yeah, try to try to keep keep working, do my job, do my podcast, parent my children. You know, so I'm not the news junkie. That I once was. That's why probably why I didn't know what Alex was up to. That's why I didn't know the state of play with the commercials. But that, but because of that, like my, the way that it touches me is a little bit odd. So this morning when I was driving into the office, I got a text from an unknown number, and I was like, oh, I wonder, wonder what this is. And it said, Andrew, this is Martin Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> and my first thought was like, was he texting for Beto? <laughs> all Beto numbers for you though that you know those numbers the Beto numbers are in my favorites yeah Andy it's Carrie again time is tight <laughs> those, are, those this, are your favorite texts the fundraising things at this time of year are my least favorite things what, do you think I should write back to Martin Sheen do you think he's texting me like, what it, if it, he's just like let's, yeah. I heard you're on freebie let's get this let's get a proj going man <laughs> yeah. let's do a okay. general <laughs> all right <laughs> Oh, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. No, I, I would love I would love to keep talking about the USA slash Amazon freebie program prior patch, which is ad supported. So I think that that's a great thing. Or we could talk. We could talk. You want to talk midterms 2022? I just, you know, I don't really. I don't really. Uh, I do want to talk about the rebellion in space that's happening, though. Yes, that's all uh, I wanted to do. Let's talk about what might be the most thrilling hour of Star Wars since since Empire, uh, mm-hmm. which is the eye, the episode, the sixth episode of Andor, uh, written by Dan Gilroy and directed by Susanna White, overseen obviously by Tony Gilroy, who came on the show a couple of weeks ago, and we were gobsmacked. We were gaga over the first few episodes, and he was just like, "Oh, cool! I think the other ones are really good." You know, like he was like, "I'm glad you guys like those little joints that we did in the beginning," and you know, as the show has sort of progressed. I was like, this is honestly my favorite, my favorite Star Wars thing, maybe ever, honestly. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I I'm don't totally happy with, with what I'm getting. But I was kind of like, I, I really, I'm really excited to see what Tony Gilroy thought was bananas. You know, like mm-hmm. what Tony Gilroy was like, I'm really pr- so proud that we were able to pull this off. And I don't even know if he was referring to this three episode arc set on Aldani about a small nascent rebel uh, squad pulling off a heist of a garrison to steal the payroll of a quadrant of the empire. But if it's better than that, then, then we need to have a conversation about whether or not I'm converting to the force or not. Quick side note. Do you think the empire should have gone paperless sooner? I like the fact that it's a very tactile universe, but there does Mm -hmm. seem to be a real dearth of P2P uh, payment systems. 
I, I totally agree. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe it's just a question of like getting the different networks to agree with each other. You know what I mean? Like the different, so across the galaxy. Um, I, look, this was wild. And to your point about what Tony thinks is incredible, one thing that I really enjoyed, I mean, we've reflected on this since he was on our show and we were both struck by just how happy he was with everything and the ability to do, tell stories on this scale. One thing that he, he elaborated on that a little bit uh, when he was on the podcast I like more than ours, Mark Maron's podcast. And he was saying like, <laughs> he's basically like, the thing that kept me from doing TV was this, when they first offered it to me or when they first talked to me about an Andor show a few years prior to agreeing to do it was scale, right? And the thing he kept repeating was just like, they're now willing to spend $200 million on a TV show. They um, were allowing him to do, and he kept saying like, you know, 200 speaking parts or whatever. And basically that he was doing the winds of war, mm -hmm. you know, and this was the episode where you saw it because scale is thrown around a lot when we talk about this era of widescreen television. Usually I think it means, oh, there was a dragon this week, you know, and I, and I, and I'm not dragging the Game of Thrones shows for that, um, I'll do that on Monday, I believe. I think that it's, we're going to start calling the Monday episode of The Watch Dragging Dragons, though. That's a good... Ooh. <laughs> House of the Dragon. Wow, boy, I really am slow today. That You know why you're good at that? Because your mind has been sharpened by attack ads. That's right. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um, but this was scale in a very, very different way, and we can sort of go through it. Like, part of, part of the payoff was the two episodes of patient construction yes. that got us here, you know, of introducing the squad, the ragtag squad, of understanding the training, of understanding the, the, not just the physical landscape that is Aldani, but the garrison, the power dynamics within the garrison, the cultural relevance of certain parts of the place. And then having an episode where I was like, this would be fine if it was just them, you know, pretending to be soldiers and robbing the place. But then you remember that it's also Star Wars. So guess what else you can do? You can mobilize TIE fighters to come swooping across the sky that is already streaming with a rainbow flurry of comets. And you're like, yeah, this is this is the best of this. This is what we want. Yeah, that kind of that scene reminded me of why I I thought this shit was cool in the first place, you know, because it's uh I think the VFX departments for or VFX houses have been getting a lot of heat over the last year or so for maybe the level of um, finishedness of the product that they're mm -hmm. they're turning in, and it's really no fault of their own. I think that the streaming TV schedule demands are pretty pretty ridiculous, obviously, and by all accounts, they're working around the clock to finish, you know these uh, effects that they essentially are like always rebuilt, redoing at the last second because people have changed their mind about things. This sequence with the eye, which is essentially this Northern Lights um, spectacle on the planet of Aldani, looks like it took them three years to do. Not only did you get like this color scheme that was this sort of like jumping to light speed, but also this like kaleidoscopic mm -hmm. psychedelic explosion of light, but you also got a feeling of the texture that it was these crystals flying across the sky and that it was these projectiles that he could he could bounce the tie fighters off of and to get to, to do his getaway. Um you talked a little bit about scale. The other thing that I thought was really cool about this episode was you know oftentimes in in 
big IP storytelling, it's got to always be the, like, we're going to save the world by doing something huge, like throw mm-hmm. a city or like stop the, you know, stop Thanos, but there's going to be a thousand robots running at us while we're doing that. Um, there's 60 Aldanis. There's what, five or six rebels. Mm-hmm. And there's about 40 people in the garrison. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when you shrink that down and you have real storytelling motivations to have every one of those things be the case, when they have the shootout, I was definitely like, I don't know if they can get out of this. But it wasn't because five people versus 500. You, you, you wouldn't believe it. It's, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the odds aren't so great, but somehow the odds not being great made it seem more dangerous. We are extremely present in every moment of the world of this show. And I can't stress enough how radical that feels at this point and how important it is. Present in a physical sense. Like when Val and Cinta, I believe her name is, yeah. are doing the the aquatic part of it. Like, first of all, again, all of this has been thought of. Like what sort of device is going to propel them across the water? But when they get to the bridge and they're touching it, it seems like a thing that is there and has been there. And their physical relationship to these places and to the ground that they're walking on really has centered us in a place, right? Like that's hugely important. We're also present within the machinations of these people emotionally and then culturally and then just in this conflicted moment. When we meet the commandant, we see him trying to get his belt across his body and he can't anymore. And there's that nice little, you know, half joke with his wife that tells you everything about him, about her, about their family dynamic, about what they feel about this place, and thus, by extension, what the Empire feels about this place. And the point that I keep coming back to when I'm thinking about why this show is triumphant is that it just walks the walk, man. It doesn't talk the talk. Every other major show right now, um, ones that we like, ones that we are mixed on, ones that we don't like, is playing a very contemporary game within the media, which I don't disparage because it's hard to get anything noticed where there's the show that we watch but also there is the the interviews and the discourse around the show about what the intention was and what it's doing not just for things that I value very highly like representation or telling different types of stories right but also about rewarding audiences with Easter eggs or answers to questions that they'd had before. So that, you know, I've, I've checked out on She-Hulk and people seem to enjoy it and maybe it'd be worth revisiting. But from my peripheral media view of it, the only coverage I see about it is what Daredevil means now for the Marvel Universe. Prior to these last three weeks of television, I'd never heard of Aldani. I didn't know about their cultural traditions regarding mutton or lambskins. I didn't know that the Empire used, we were joking about it, I didn't know they used hard currency as payroll or that could be manipulated. I hadn't met any of these people. And it's so rewarding to be in their story and have the show deliver on that story without anything moving up or down the chain. So that when Eben Moss Bacharach's like, oh yeah, that's Greedo's blaster, it's like, oh, have fun. Yeah, but it's right. not three episodes about how Greedo got his fucking blaster. Right. You know what I mean? It's about this. And that shouldn't be so unique at this moment, but it is. I wanted to ask you as somebody who, you know, I was busting your chops earlier, but like as somebody who has written <laughs> dramatically. Oh, you can bust them. No. You're talking about Lamb. Let's one of the, the things chops. that I thought was really cool, but I wonder whether or not would be somewhat challenging, honestly, for some for modern audiences is not a full-scale abandonment of Chekhov because I think that there are some... He adheres, obviously. I mean, Tony Gilroy is a master storyteller who is probably knows way more about dramatic storytelling rules than I've ever... He's forgotten more than I know. 
But one of the things that I thought was really cool about this episode, but the show itself, is how many things are left in for color, but mm-hmm. are not the gun in the first act mm-hmm. that needs to go mm-hmm. off in the second act. So the fact that J-Hold, which is a great name for a commanding officer, right? Oh, that was his... Okay, yeah. I, they were saying it, and I didn't quite... Okay. The fact that that guy's kid is consumptive and they have that brief exchange where he's like, she's like, he's not feeling well or he's feeling ill. And he's like, he's always feeling ill. Doesn't matter. Doesn't come up again. Mm -hmm. It sort of suggests a complicated relationship to his family. And maybe it gives a little bit of inner life to his decision-making as he's going through with the heist with these people and like whether or not he wants any, I mean, obviously doesn't want harm to come to his family, but he has a, strange you know he's got his career in his mind as much Mm -hmm. as he's got his family in his mind but that kid doesn't have an asthma attack that then yeah comes back to haunt the rebels or something it's just this is a scene we're gonna find out a little bit about this guy and then we're gonna keep it moving and he does that Gilroy does this multiple times i mean even cinta and vel's handhold i don't know if that was romantic i don't know what kind of relationship it was i i think when we met the characters Clem slash Cashin is told that she shares a bed already. Like that's very understated, but yeah. Yeah. But like, that's the same kind of like throwaway line of like, I guess Nemec said last week, he said, well, then the surprise will come from below. And that was in reference to them doing their little submarine part of Mm -hmm. the mission. And I didn't even remember that until, until I, I read about it in Ben Lindbergh's recap on the ringer. But I guess, you know, I saw some people saying like, well, I kept waiting for the Aldani, uh, festival to matter and it's like well it doesn't matter in the sense that they rise up and help the rebels but it matters in the sense of like these people are essentially going to be swept aside by this conflict Mm -hmm. eventually and it's all color but the world is better when you have color i don't think every show can do this but it's amazing to watch something like this just kind of like tell a story in this way I couldn't agree more. I think two things. One, the presence of the Aldani having their festival and singing in a language that may never be heard in a Star Wars property again, honestly, to me, is like a meta spike in the entire intellectual property. You know, it, it is so, it's a corrective. And it's being injected back into this in a way that is making me feel so excited, honestly, about a fictional universe to entertain us for the next however many decades. Because it is not just about a magical family or one set of uh, Mandalorian armor that stays on one desert planet. It's about a galaxy with culture mm-hmm. and with points of view and lives, ordinary lives and emotions that intersect. And so much thought was given to them and their, you know, their outfits and what they would sound like and, and how they would be. It's so respectful. And it's also, it's expansive. I think that's what's hugely important. And I, and, and, and I really hope that it's kind of like it's been entered into the bloodstream now in a way that this, these sorts of stories are possible for this world. I can't overstate enough how, how, I can't overstate how important that is. Yeah. To the other point, when Tony's been doing his media rounds with us as well, you know, he's talked about how, and I say Tony, you said he's the showrunner. His brother Dan wrote this episode. I'm sure Dan would say the same thing as a screenwriter of, you know, of, of some renown. The stuff that they like best as writers gets cut out of movies. 
And that was true even before the the you know the the superhero revolution. Like movies have to be short, and scenes have to be there for a purpose. And any little bit of color or texture you get in there, people will remember it, and it makes the movie better. But that's always the first thing cut. So I kind of love seeing these guys who are just seen a, as like the top of their trade mercenaries, almost in terms of like precision and jargon and and delivering on action, getting to just you know adjust their sashes a little bit. Shout out to, yeah. what is it, J-Hold? Like yeah. they get to relax. They get a little flab in there. And that's where the fun is. You know, the scenes we're talking about, the, what's his name? The, the I, I can't remember the names on this show. I, people get on me for not knowing Game of Thrones characters. I'm much worse with Star Wars names. <laughs> um, but like, you know, the, the bad guy who wasn't in this episode, who eats cereal, like his first scene oh, with Ka- his- Oh, Car- Karn, I think his name is- Kyle, Kyro, his first scene with his, with his Karn. uniform. Yeah, Cyril Karn. Yeah, yeah, Cyril. That's that's something that would get cut, and thank God it didn't. You know, that I I love that there's room for it. These are the things that this is what we need for this to be a rich text for lots of stories for, and I think this part is crucial: lots of people, not just the same people again and again and again. The you mentioned the. Uh you know, the, the royal family of, of space wizards, which is essentially the, mm-hmm. been the guiding principle for this, this world for 40 years. It really struck me that at the end of the episode, after Skeen has betrayed the group, Cassian kills Skeen, then he goes into Vel and he's just like, I'm getting out of here. First of all, the forearm doctor. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Would you be comforted? He looked a little bit like Trump's doctor. Hold on. That guy actually has like a funny name. Give me one second to do, find do, that. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Remember like Dr. Bornstein, who's like this specimen <laughs> of humanity is the most fit and strong human that ever dude's to see in your office. And, and Kai, feel free to leave in my Googling. That dude's name is Dr. Quadpaw. I mean, that's got to be a nickname. I I don't know. I think, but if, if you were like Dr. Quadpaw podiatrist. Yeah. You'd be the podiatrist of the stars. I Yeah, I'd go. I like... So I, I was, before we started recording, actually, before Chris joined us, you know, listeners should know, Chris was a little late joining the Zoom today. Um, you know, I, I, there's just a certain type of professionalism that I expect, timeliness, you know, like always, always showing up. I was up. watching the January 6th and, series. <laughs> <laughs> so Kaya and I had a chance to catch up a little bit, and I wondered if Kaya was the person who had um, posted on our Facebook group, like, that the only problem with Andor is there aren't enough aliens in it. And she said that she kind of feels that way until the emergence of Dr. Quadpaw. <laughs> like, it, it was... Uh, it was just really was some... dope that Dr. Quadpaw couldn't fix Nemec's broken spine. Because in Star Wars, like, often, I mean, you and I sat in this room in Philadelphia yeah. mm-hmm. three Christmases ago and screamed at you for an hour about Star Wars. Remember when, when the last movie came out? We did that podcast? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And... Uh, I was like, oh, they're just going to have like a back to tank that they can throw this dude in and like they will yeah. repair his spine or whatever. But no, Dr. Quadpaw. I mean, do you think that was because Dr. Quadpaw is more like Dr. Quackpaw? Like, do you think he really should have been able to do it if he had access to a tank? But also, by the way, let's just say that this is what Andor is. Not everyone Gets has to access to, yeah. to back to tanks, unlike yeah. the worlds that we've seen, right? Sometimes. Sometimes the back gets smashed a little too much, but I, that was, I, I really, I mean, there's, there's a lot of jokes to be made here, but at the same time, that was also a really noteworthy and instructive moment because when Nemec is injured, I was like, you know, in the moment, 
enjoying it. But then there was a, a, a recoil where I was like, I don't know the stakes here. I don't know. I know what type of show it is because it's in the tradition of Rogue One and I know that people can die and we've already lost two members of the of this little rebellion group. And, I, and Nemec was, you know, anytime you write a manifesto, I'm like, oh, okay, that, that's a little bit McBain. <laughs> but I didn't know the rules in that, can everyone just get fixed from stuff? Is this that universe? Is this yeah. Star Trek where you just get a little like, you know, um, tongue depressor pushed against your neck and then you're fine. It was instructive that it wasn't, that there are stakes that people can die. And that was played really well. And and the, the Alex Lothar scene too, like. Dude, don't even, I mean, I, Nemec's like my fucking top five Star Wars character to me. The right? fact that this episode ends with Cassian giving Vel the kyber crystal, which I think people were definitely like, dude, is he going to fashion a lightsaber on us? And instead, he give, he's just like, here, take this fucking necklace. Yeah. And she's like, here, take this manifesto. And so you get this replacement of the typical mm-hmm. spiritual, magical part of Star Wars with, no, like, here's the man, here's the tract. Here's, here's Das Kapital. Yeah. Let's get running. Like, let's, let's also just re- think about all the things that were introduced. There was a lot of talk last week, you know, people are like, oh, I guess, Tattoos, or in the first week, oh, there's sex in the Star Wars universe now. Yeah. Oh, there's tattoos in the Star Wars universe now. You know what there is in the Star Wars universe now? Fear. Anxiety. Yep. Ideas. Imagination. Trepidation. Trepidation. In, None of in, those people wanted to do that That, that mission. No. They were all like, oh, God, this is going to suck. Intellectual, you know, intellectualism. Like like that there's a a, a reason to care about the, the plight of man and also quad paws. You know, like those weren't there before. And I'm not saying they weren't there before because uh, of a failing on any creative actor or creative uh, uh, person behind the scenes. It's that when you're telling the official mythology of royal space wizards, if someone is like, I'm afraid, then Yoda pops up and it's like, oh, fear leads to suffering. Like, you know, <laughs> here, here's the fucking... Wait, you know, here, that here's Yoda the fortune cookie. Was that Yoda or Bane? <laughs> what? I would be so into it if it was Bane. Can you do this mashup live? Can you be the freelance I, I mean, Hellraiser? I think, if, I think what that? you just hit on is it's the same voice and a lot of the same messaging. It is the same messaging. Who's born would in the you, swamp? Would you consider coming back to TV criticism or just mm. cultural criticism and just mm-hmm. writing a six thousand word essay about Bane and Yoda being the same character? And then, and then vanish. Mic dropping. Yeah. Just, just, just watching. Delete all socials. Yeah. I would, and I say this with love, like what you're describing is our good friend and one of the few true geniuses we know, Wesley Morris, who is the best cultural critic there is. And today he wrote a piece about seeing the 1986 Barbara Streisand movie Nuts. Like this is in The Grey Lady, right? And it's this yeah. brilliant piece that I think maybe we should even talk about next week. So it talks about like American culture and quote unquote trash culture. And he makes a great argument for what is what there used to be in our movies and what's missing from it. And name checks Pauline Kale. And I mean, it's a great piece, but it starts with him watching the 1986 movie, Barbara Streisand movie Nuts. That would be the equivalent if I was just like, here's what you guys have missed about Yoda and Bane. Um, a couple more quick hitters from the show. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that those particular TIE fighter pilots mm-hmm. were like the, were those guys like the MLS players, like the double A players of, of the world of TIE fighter pilots? Because they really did mm-hmm. get distracted by some flashing lights and they could not catch up with an unarmed 
freighter that they weren't even sure was going to take off in the first place. Yeah, but dude, like not everybody is well, in know, San Diego like, at top gun think, school. I don't think Goose and, and Mav would be in nah. Aldani. They would be like flying around the new Death Star, right? They'd be in Miramar. Like they or yeah. they would be deployed. Exactly. Exactly. This wasn't if this had been any other Star Wars entertainment from the last 40 years, Darth Vader would have been fucking visiting Aldani. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He would just been like just just being like, oh, Heard you, you guys know, are having the fest. Thought I'd drop by. <laughs> yeah, I just want to press the flesh at the at the at the local festival, the local street right. fair. Maybe have you a guys skewer. Going Fetterman or Oz, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but he's just brought his crew. <sighs> Fetterman. <laughs> That's my Darth Vader. Uh, another question was, was: How silly did you feel, or how silly did you mm. feel for me that I was like Julia Butters to? Evan Moss Backrack when he came on the pod last week and I was like that was some of the best acting I ever seen with your story with his story about his dead brother and then this yeah. week he was like I don't have a brother <laughs> I well I love that I did wonder was he serious oh like w- whether Skeen is serious which when he's telling Cassian like I don't have a brother I and I and I say this because I was in your camp too and I thought that was such a great reading and and great performance I, I when I first heard it in that in the scene in this week's episode, I was like, "Is he saying he doesn't have a brother anymore? He's not motivated by that." Oh, uh, I thought he was just like that was just some shit I made up. That also could be true. Yeah, that also to could make be it true. Se- make it seem like I belonged here. Yeah, um, I, but, but you know that's a testament to either his performance, the writing, or my lack of attentiveness that I could see it go either way. I don't think anybody could question your level of attentiveness. Thank you. You're one of our great close readers. Um, I don't want to keep you too long today. It's Thursday. I know you got a lot of stuff going on. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about... I've got this Freebie shareholders report that I got to... I just got to jump on the Zoom. I've got some questions. You you and Jed Bartlett. Me? Got to connect. Me, Martin Sheen, and my my reps at at Pierpoint Bank. We have some tough questions for the sector. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. 
Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I have a larger thing I'd like to discuss with you about the 1990s revival in so much as how it relates to Midnight Club, which is a new show yeah, from Mike Flanagan, a director that I have a lot of time for. I've talked a lot about Bly Manor and Hill House and you know some, some of his previous work on Netflix. He's certainly Midnight Mass, them, right? That you were, Midnight you're Mass, big on that. Certainly one of the most unique kind of filmmaker. He's, his project that he has at Netflix, which is like, I will direct every episode of these incredibly long, very personally paced and Mm -hmm. uniquely like told stories that exist in the horror genre, but really push as far outside of the horror genre as you can with, while still having like one or two jump scares every eight hours. Mm -hmm. So midnight club is, I believe like it's number two on two show on Netflix. Now, if he's not, if it's not number one, I think Dahmer's still number one. Um, And it's based on a novel by Christopher Pike, who's a very beloved, I guess, YA author. Uh, my wife and Christopher Pike, the first captain of the Enterprise. That's right, and uh, mm-hmm. thank you for, to him for his service. Um, and um, <laughs> you know, uh, this this book it was written in 1994. The show is set in 1994. It's about a group of terminally ill teenagers living in a hospice um, in a very beautiful piece of Northern California real estate. To I think it's Northern California. Mm-hmm. To and and to entertain one another and to keep their minds off of what's happening to them, they gather at night, midnight, if you will, and tell each other scary stories. And there is obviously some haunting going on at this hospice. There's obviously more than meets the eye when it comes to the person running the hospice. Matt Saracen is in the building as a nurse's aide. Can't imagine that he's on the up and up. I've only watched the one episode. I'm sort of parceling it out. It's spooky season after all. You got to have spooky stuff every night. But one of the things that jumped out at me was the soundtrack. So it is wall-to-wall 90s alt-rock and alt-rock radio hits. Very similar to Yellow Jackets, which also employed this music supervision strategy to great effect. And another show that we're going to talk about briefly right now called High School, which is coming out on Freebie, and is essentially a dramatized telling of the early years of Tegan and Sarah and their life in high school in Canada in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, bit of a 90s revival. I feel a little bit the way I felt when I started going to restaurants in Los Angeles around 2013 and everybody just played Illmatic all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess this is just music for restaurants now. I guess Hole is now just like the anthem of prestige TV. That's one way of looking at it. I'd also be curious to hear about some of your thoughts about Midnight Club. Um, I do want to talk about the '90s thing. I think the Midnight Club thing for me was interesting because, as as you and our listeners know, I don't I don't really do horror, so I haven't engaged with this stuff so much before. I have to say, great premise. Shout out to Christopher Pike, and shout out to Mike <laughs> Flanagan too yeah. for recognizing that this is. I mean, 
this is this is a show with a log line of like and, uh, and shout out to Christopher Pike for all he did in Starfleet. You know, absolutely. No, yeah. I mean, you never want to be the guy before the guy because 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 Kirk gets all the attention, but Pike really laid down some fundamentals, some groundwork. That's what we call the Joe Girardi. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. So Rob Thompson is. Captain James Kirk. Tiberius Kirk in this analogy. This is good stuff. Um, but really, if you just look at the log line, like as you described, like a group of terminally ill kids, teenagers, um, investigate the occult. I'm like, that is a number one show on Netflix. That is just what they want. That is just what audiences want, and it it delivers. So I would I would I say almost, I'd, the easier way of describing it is 90s Stranger Things. Yeah, I, I yeah. but but with more of a horror. I mean, right, a little more overtly horror rhythms and tropes and things like that um it does the pilot early on in the pilot does have one of my favorite lines of dialogue that i've heard in the last 10 years which is you want to remove my thyroid i'm going to stanford <laughs> which i kind of want that on a t-shirt i mean look it is extremely expositional in the beginning so mm-hmm. and it's not entirely my thing but i think it's well done and i think it's it's really this is an example of netflix's strategy of how they want to do original programming done right you know it they they are no longer doing the stuff that was just like this could have been on hbo and we want to be at the emmys for it that's not what they're doing anymore they are servicing the creators that they've wisely invested in who produce recognizable and popular content at quality and at volume and that's flanagan is in that group you know that is otherwise ryan murphy and chanda rhymes and you could maybe argue they're getting more return on their investment from this you know the less famous mike flanagan at this point um the 90s thing is really interesting to me because i would describe the music the needle drop strategy of the midnight club pilot as carpet bombing right like there are three distinct 90s hits before people start talking in real time not voiceover so i'm just going through this soundtrack playlist that they've got up and it opens with connected by stereo mcs if i remember correctly Mm -hmm. yes that's right flagpole sitter by harvey danger glycerine by bush no rain by blind melon joey by concrete blonde bound for the floor by local h take a picture by filter i mean these are not look insignificant yeah I mean, I listen to WDRE all the time, and it, it shout out one of three point nine like that. That tracks. That that is not that outrageous. It the 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 issue here, and this is where I kind of want to like pivot to high school. Is it, what do you what do you want to do? Do you want to signify and signal an era that your show is set in, or do you want to put people in an era? And I don't say this pejoratively, like there's reasons to be doing each kind of show. Midnight Club is not necessarily a show about the 90s, so it's signaling to us when it is set, right? Whereas mm-hmm. High School, which we'll get to in a second, puts people inside of an experience that is in some ways timeless, and then the era is secondary. My only 90s note about the Midnight Club pilot is I don't remember anyone drinking bottled water in the 90s. I don't remember anyone drinking water. When they were doing that, I thought they were drinking uh, like acid water. I was yes. like, oh, is she drinking Alice, like spiked water or, or something? Or, or, or I didn't get invited to your high school parties then. Or I was going to say yeah. Zima, maybe. Yes. Like, yes. like I, they were just like, oh, here, let's have some bottles of water that are also available at this party. And I say this to my kids all the time who are the most hydrated people I've ever met. And I was like, I cannot explain this to you better than to say that I didn't drink water until I was 30. Like I, there was never a moment when I was a child when my parents were like, 
you should be hydrating more. It's summertime. I know. You know, my mom gets so annoyed to me, with me when I come home because I'm just like draining like <laughs> giant gallon bottles of Deer Park. And she's just like, that was supposed to be for like the season. <laughs> yeah. For like if, if, if there was an emergency. Yeah. Or like and the I'm zombies like, game. You don't understand. I'm in California. Like I'm on yeah. c- constant renal failure alert. Well, when I was a child, the only thing my parents were monitoring is if I was quote unquote cranky. In which case, the, the, the solution was, give me a, a Coke. Like, yeah. that was their level of, of hydration. So I, I just reject this. There was no moment in the 90s where it was like, cool, let's crack a couple H2Os, bro. Like, maybe a Fruitopia, you know, if you were doing a non-alk. Anyway, um, yeah, I do want to shout out high school. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, so this airs tomorrow, it's, Friday. It right? premieres tomorrow on Freebie. Um, it is based on... Canadian sisters and songwriters and 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 performers Tegan and Sarah who are who are I've known for a long time and who I love and who will be on our podcast next week to talk about this show as well as their new album Crybaby which comes out next week. They wrote a memoir about growing up in rural Canada and coming out slowly in different times. It was called high, uh, the book was called High School and so their friend Clea Duval who people may know um, from her performances on shows like Veep um, she also directed that, um, and the that faculty? Netflix. Oh, and the faculty. Yeah. And also that Netflix, um, holiday film that, no, that people Hulu, really liked. And it was happier together. Hulu. Yeah. Thank Happy, you. It was happiest season. Happiest season. She met, she directed it, that. That is like a holiday classic. Chris is smiling for the first time on this podcast. Um, he <laughs> loves that. I remember you love that movie. I'm not even, anyway, she adapted this and it's really a striking show. And I think it's a really striking contrast because it's so not handholdy, handholdy, and it's just like you're in Calgary in the '90s, and it's kind of cold and it's kind of plain, and there's nothing fancy or special or f- f- about it. It's just kids, right, going to a new school and trying to figure stuff out. It's so not handholdy that I actually checked. There's one of those ones where I was watching the pilot, and I was like, "Wait, did I watch? Am I did I start two? the right one?" Yeah, right. Kobe Smulders who is also a Chris Ryan favorite, I know, plays um, the twins' mom, and she's awesome in it. The show punches way above its weight. It's like really dialed in emotionally into just being a certain age. And I found it really, that's really cool. I mean, it, it, it could have gone so many different directions. The, the leading direction would have been like all 90s and be like, you know, brightly lit and and just communicating an era more than it was communicating the character. And it is the opposite of that. I mean, it isn't like the most significant needle drop on the show, Bedhead. Like, it's really... I lost my mind when that happened. I know. Like, it is really dialed in. Maybe to more to our Just 90s, because that's but... like a song that I figure like... Like, a number of people in the triple digits would know that song. But, but, it's, but a, that's, it's an amazing But that's song. important. Because it's not telling you anything other than what the emotional valence of the song is meant to be communicating. And I think the show also does something really interesting with perspective in that Tegan and Sarah are identical twins brilliantly take a moment from their real life where one of the twins punches the other. So one, so one has a black eye through the whole first episode. So you can tell them apart and it switches perspectives. Like it's not exactly anything that switches perspectives is referred to as Rashomon esque. I would not not say this charming, uh, coming of age freebie sitcom is not Rashomon esque, but I do appreciate that it toggles. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it obviously owes a lot to like the, my so-called lives of the world, but I found this show charming. Like I, I really, really loved it, and uh, watched a bunch of it in on the screeners. So I'm, I'm just like fully in. 
And I, I just thought like its sense of place and its sense of humor and its sense of music and its sense of kids' relationship to music and like the weirdness of making friends uh, was pretty universal and was pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear your interview with Tegan and Sarah about it. I'm glad week. you mentioned the, the My So-Called Life thing because that is still a touchstone for people not just our age, I think. And again, this show isn't that, but it's definitely a recommended if you like. Um, and I think it might otherwise kind of get get overlooked. Um but you know, glad to have the company on Freebie. I think it's. I think I, I believe in the service. This is this is absolutely SpawnCon. But I feel like a place you can watch a lot of good shows. I feel like we covered a lot today. I think we. I mean, we ended up in the same place, which is in the trenches of the Pennsylvania Senate race. But <laughs> Kai's silence has been deafening on this issue. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, I I just think people understand that like Kai one is a of big us supplements is like, person as well, though. So you, what can you say? You know, but one of the two, one, we have two co-hosts on this podcast. One is real salt of the earth kind of guy can walk in any town, become friends with with anyone and really relate. And the other is me. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think we know <laughs> who's who. Uh, um, Andy, it was great talking to you. I'll talk to you it's, on Monday. Yeah. Um, Are we Kaya? doing Dragon? Am I am I off timeout? It's not timeout, Andy. It's a <laughs> free country. <laughs> for the, for, you could say whatever you want about House of the Dragon. I, 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 I will also, not be silenced. Yeah, but I not like Viserys. <laughs> <laughs> or Va- my guy Vaymond, big fan. Oh, yeah, Vaymond Va- really Vaymond kind of the downside of free speech, right? Can I just ask, just here's the leading question for Monday? How much time would you need to spend sharpening your sword? To do what Damon did. Dude, it's it's Dark Sister. It's Valerian. That shit is stay sharp. So once again, your answer is because Mallory told you the name of something. <laughs> okay. Let's save this for Monday, but clearly, clearly we got a good one. We got a spicy one on the books. We were produced by Kai McMullen. Her endorsement <laughs> for political races is still up for grabs. Who can say? Kai is knocking on doors in PA. That's why she's not chiming in. And uh, we will be back on Monday. Thanks for listening. Take care. Her platform is not enough aliens on Andor. <laughs> Doctor, she's a single issue voter. Dr. Quadpaw. Dr. Quadpaw lives. No, it's not enough. Oh. But you had that. This you week. had lots by of the way, this episode. I need way, more. Now I'm going to get two more episodes of No <laughs> Dr. Quadpaw lives in New Jersey, so it's not even legitimate. <laughs> Definitely right? does. <laughs>